This month on Security Management Highlights. We now have team members that become stakeholders in security and safety, and that helps drive safety and resilience in any organization. Building a security awareness program will help create buy-in at the entire organization for a culture of safety. Dave Aflalo, CPP, stops by to tell us more about the essential building blocks for these programs. I've got threats of illegal immigrants coming in on ships. I've got people trying to break into the port itself to get cargo out of the containers. One of the largest ports in London employs a situational awareness platform to stop threats in their tracks. Plus, a member spotlight interview with Mark Fulmer, CPP, Vice President, Security Industry at Tractic, and ASIS Senior Regional Vice President for Region 6, which includes all of Canada. I'm your host, Associate Editor Holly Gilbert-Stowell, and that's all coming up on this edition, October 2018, of Security Management Highlights. See Something, Say Something is one of the most prominent security awareness slogans around, and security managers can engender a similar level of branding with their own companies through a security awareness program. Here to talk more about how to build such a program and increase employee buy-in is Dave Aflalo, CPP, Senior Vice President of Corporate Security for GM Financial. He is a member of the ASIS CSO Center for Leadership and Development. Hi, Dave. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Holly. Good to be with you. Let's start out just setting the stage. What is the point, the overall goal of building a security awareness program at an organization? What exactly is it designed to do? Fundamentally, I think the overall aim is to create an environment where a heightened security consciousness can occur within an organization. When that occurs, we now have team members that become stakeholders in security and safety, and that helps drive safety and resilience in any organization. So I think that's the overall aim. More broadly speaking, it's to create a safer workplace and to help team members know that it's a shared responsibility and they have a role to play in that regard. According to your article, the onus is on the security department to usually build or at least find partners to help with this program. What are some of the ways that the security manager and his or her department start building this program? Let's say that they're starting from you know the ground floor, starting from scratch. What are just some of those first initial steps and who should they get involved in the process? It's a great question. I think one of the things that's most important before an awareness program can really be developed is to do a risk assessment for the organization. Where are the pain points? Where are the vulnerabilities? Each organization will have different areas of risk. And the security leader should use those risk areas as the point of reference when developing an awareness program. Perhaps there is a sense of urgency around people piggybacking or tailgating into an environment. Perhaps people aren't displaying their ID badges. Maybe there's problems in the parking lot that we want people to be aware of. So understanding the risk element first will help to drive the structure and strategy of the awareness program. You wrote in the article a little bit about involving marketing and involving other stakeholders. One of the big reasons that you wrote is because marketing can help with the signage and other points of awareness. So what are some of those ways you can keep employees in the loop about the program and just remind them daily about different security points? I think most people are visual learners. I know I am. And so it's been my experience that people will often remember something they see for longer periods of time than something they might simply hear. So leveraging the communication 
communications and marketing teams to help develop a strategy around messaging, whether it's static signage, variable message signs, pop-ups on computer screens, in addition to face-to-face -face interaction that the security department will have during benefit fairs, town halls, and things of this nature. That's a holistic information strategy, and the key is to inform, not to alarm, and not to over-inform. So striking that balance can be something the communications team can help with. Do you mind to talk about the examples we show in the story of the signage that you have at GM Financial and how you chose those topics? Well, we have a number of signs that we have uh, displayed throughout the organization at each of our facilities, and they focus on areas that we think it's important to remind team members about. One theme is around reporting suspicious circumstances. It's important that team members know not only is it okay to do that, but there's an expectation. Everyone has a role to play in keeping the workplace safe. So one of our signs simply says, report, 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 and we want people to understand if they see something, they should let us know, and we've created very easy means of contact the security department to help people do that effectively. We have signage around piggybacking which help people understand to be careful when entering one of our workplace environments so that someone else does not follow them behind them that doesn't belong there. We have active shooter signage that we share with our people to help them understand the risk of a potential hostile intruder in the workplace. So the themes vary, but the overarching theme is helping people understand safety and security and what they can do to promote that where they work. Absolutely. And thank you for sharing that artwork with us. I hope that that's an example for any readers who, you know, want to take advantage. So we do need to be sensitive to different cultures in security programs, as you write. What what are some of those sensitivities uh, that security managers and companies should be aware of when creating signage and language around these programs? Why is that important to consider? Well, I think understanding cultural differences is important in any business application, not just in developing security awareness programs. So if a company is multinational or working internationally, it's very important that business leaders understand the context of communications, what the social and societal norms are, and how you can best integrate in that environment. Now, as it relates to security awareness programming, not every environment sees security risk in the same way that we might here in the United States. So perhaps in Europe or Asia or in Canada, these risk events might be perceived differently. So the messaging around that needs to be tailored so that it's understood and not misunderstood. And that's where the communications group can help as well. So understanding the cultural difference and making sure that the message is aligned with that culture is key. In the story, you mentioned that before your current position at GM Financial, you worked on these programs at ESPN, Capital One. What were just some of the highlights of those programs that really got employees excited? I know one was employee recognition or there was a safety awareness day. Tell us a little bit more about those highlights. Well, at ESPN, when I served as director of facility security, one of the things we did was engage our public safety partners, both on the law enforcement, fire, and EMS side, to help us deliver our message. So there's a lot of safety messages that can be leveraged both in the workplace and at home. And so we invited these agencies to the campus to help share that messaging, which they do as a normal course of their business as well, promoting public safety. Very well received and takeaways for people that can be used in different applications. So we thought it was very successful and it was done a couple of years in a row. Recognizing employees for doing something right is critical. And when you're trying to reinforce the point that security matters, we've leveraged these different approaches to recognize employees in 
in ways large and small. And so not only does that expose the employee to the appreciation that we're extending to them, but it also serves as a multiplier for the wider organization that sees that this is something that the business cares about. Thank you so much, Dave, for stopping by and sharing this with us. Again, thanks for your article. And yeah, thanks for stopping by the podcast. My pleasure. Good to be with you, Holly. London Gateway is a deep-sea shipping port owned by Dubai Ports World, which has 78 terminals in 53 countries globally and is the world's third-largest port operator. Colin Hitchcock, harbor master and head of international ship and port facility security at London Gateway, joined me to talk more about the threats the port encounters on a daily basis and how it's combating them with the Converged Security and Information Management Platform, or CSIM, from VIDSYS. Colin Hitchcock began our conversation by sharing more about the security challenges encountered by the port. Trade-wise, our threats obviously is the drugs coming in from South America. We also have fraudulent uh, cigarettes and tobacco, tobacco and uh, alcohol. That's the main things coming in, as well as certain ivories and uh, foodstuffs that's not p- permitted. Going out, there's a big uh, problem with cars stolen to order. So because we're only a few miles from London, basically, you can uh, steal a car, put it in a box and get it out out of the country. The main destination presently is West Africa. You know, we have a situation where we had one car that was stolen and it came through the gate two hours, 35 minutes after being stolen. And it was in the collection of uh, 18 cars in six containers. So you can put two Range Rovers and an E-Class Mercedes dangling in a 40-foot container so that's quite big, big business going out. My threats, I've got threats of illegal immigrants coming in on ships. I've got people trying to break into the port itself to get cargo out of the containers. And then obviously we've got uh, cargoes of interest that we've got to monitor. And we work very closely with the police and serious crime agencies globally to in- intercept. Because we're also the first port of call. So you, you get a ship that's coming from Colombia or South uh, Africa or from uh, West Africa and it comes to us first and then it goes to Rotterdam or uh, Antwerp or something like that. If there's intelligence, they'll take those containers off and they'll inspect them, take the, the uh, items out and then uh, replace it and then they'll send it on the way or what they'll do is they'll, they'll look and watch who picks it up and they'll monitor that cargo as it leaves uh, our, our site. Hitchcock went on to tell me more about how DP London Gateway first encountered the CSIM platform from VIDSYS. He said the situational awareness provided by the solution, as well as the ability to infinitely scale the system and integrate with other manufacturers, were all major selling points for the technology. London Gateway was a brownfield site. It was previously, it was a, an oil terminal. So we had a clean sheet of paper. And I was very fortunate that I could go out into the market and I was told by my uh, seniors in uh, head office in Dubai to go out to find uh, state-of-the-art equipment that can be used, not all from the same company. You know, look at individual cameras, look at individual PID systems, look at access control, see how they work, how can they work together, and then look at a management system that incorporated everything like that. I visited many uh, companies looked at how they worked. I'm, I'm a very much a person that likes to sort of meeting someone and understand what they can offer and actually can I work with them and are they flexible and can they alter the platform to suit us and what we actually need. And uh, I was very, very pleased and excited to, to work very closely with VidSys. They offered ideas and suggestions 
And it's not just that, you know, we don't have a security room that's just solely for security. It's a site management system as well as security as well. And it's all interlinked, which is excellent. We were able to incorporate different systems. And in a modern port, you know, it runs on computer systems. So that was the, one of the other main points with VidSys, is that if you, we introduce new cameras or we introduce a new uh, turnstile system or a new employee management system, the system was able to cope with it, as well as, you know, we've just recently opened another building that had a new building management system. And all that is all in the control room. So I've got uh, two, two people who, 24-7, who watch the site. There's a group of guys and ladies who do the port actions, and they're all about moving little boxes off uh, container ships. But then the rest of the place is run by the VidSys system and the control room. Hitchcock says the CSIM is an integral part of several onion skin layers of security built around the port. For example, a perimeter intrusion detection is covered by movement sensors and thermal imaging cameras. Should a trespasser trip any of those sensors, flashing blue lights are activated. An audio alert also comes over a loudspeaker to let the party know they are trespassing. Finally, if all these alerts are ignored, a large spotlight targets the threat. Recently, CSIM and the port's multi-layered response system played a vital role in multiple arrests at the port when a group of trespassers entered the property under the cover of night. We had an attempt where uh, persons were, were trying to come down the, the railway line behind a train. The thermal imaging camera, this was about 2, 3 in the morning, thermal imaging cameras picked them up. There was the human form, there was two or three of them. They set off the uh, blue flashing lights and everything like that. And the final one is a huge spotlight just as it goes under the bridge. But the SOP came up, contacted the, the police. Our guards were, were alerted and, and they're about six, 700 yards in down this tunnel. There's uh, gates that sort of in, intersect onto the railway and, and there is a, basically a tube of uh, security fences so they couldn't go anywhere. The outside authorities, they were called. We went through the whole list and because it was knowing what was on the train, an armed response group from Essex Police, they, they were deployed as well and they were all here. And then they got rumbled because the police turned up at the far end of the railway line and the procedure was absolutely correct. What we had discussed and the process, but we had them on thermal imaging cameras exactly, you know, as they, they hid in sort of the bushes in a certain area. And it was pouring with rain, and this was in November, so it was quite cold in uh, Blighty. And uh, we just left them for an hour, getting cold and very, very wet before the, uh, the police moved in to sort of uh, arrest them. Overall, Hitchcock says DP London Gateway was pleased that the system worked exactly as planned. So yeah, the, the, the system worked very, very well indeed. For more on this story, check out the October case study in this month's edition of Security Management Magazine. Finally, at GSX 2018 in Las Vegas, I had the chance to catch up with Mark Fulmer, CPP, who is Vice President, Security Industry at TrackTick and the ASIS International SRVP for Region 6. We're here at GSX 2018 and doing a member spotlight interview with Mark Fulmer. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Holly. Appreciate it. So you're at this newly branded show, GSX, but you've been a part of ASIS for quite a while, as you were telling me. Tell us a little bit more about how you came to find the society and your volunteer leadership experience and your experience with ASIS. I started with ASIS, I think, first became a member in 1996, 1997. So I was about 12 years old. But uh, no, seriously, coming from a non-security background, so a business degree from way back when, ended up working with a security service provider. And when I wanted to learn more about security and meet people and actually 
really prepare myself for a career in the industry. Um, it was highly recommended to me by our leadership at the time. Said, "Oh, when you get," and they were shipping me out at the same time to uh, to a new city. And they said, "Oh, when when you get to Vancouver, find a local ASIS chapter, and that'll be a good way to kind of learn about security." So did that in about. I think it was 96, 97, and uh, it's been great since. You're a part of the Security Services Council. Tell us a little bit more about your council and other leadership experience within the society and how it's maybe helped you advance your own career. It started, I guess, fairly quickly. So uh, when I first got out to Vancouver, met the local ASIS chapter, found out about how to get my CPP. So X number of years later, became certified. Started with chapter leadership, not so much in Vancouver, but over in Calgary, a couple of the different roles moved back east, chapter chair, chapter vice chair in Montreal as the kind of chapter was growing, and then a little bit sort of wider scope to the regional level. So currently sitting as SRVP for Region 6, all of Canada, our 11 chapters, and 2,000 some odd members, and also uh, involved in the council, so Security Service Council specifically. New experience for me, so it's really nice in terms of the, you know, day job, as you can say, just networking with people that are really specialized on that that specific part. So. Uh, get to do that. Yeah, it's fun. Excellent. And give us just a quick 15-second elevator speech about TrackTick to give our listeners an idea of the space that you're in in the industry, and then we'll go from there. So TrackTick is a security workforce platform. So essentially helping security service businesses and security operations in general be more efficient, deliver actionable data and, and insight that they generate from the work that they do in the field, making sure the right guard gets to a site at the right time and is doing the right things. So it's all about efficiency, all about kind of harnessing the information that they generate and then helping corporate security operations work off of that data and then helping security businesses. We like to say spend better, so solving real problems that they have in terms of delivering the service that they have to do. So what kind of customer base are you dealing with? Is there a typical customer profile? So typical that it's untypical, I guess. Anything from a small business, local uh, local security service company to uh, an international security service company. So really, I mean, size can be anywhere from 20 employees to over 100,000. Um, and then in terms of how the interaction is with end user corporate security managers in certain cases if they're operating in different locations sometimes we work with them uh, with them directly yeah so tell me about the biggest challenges that you're seeing your customers face that you know that might keep your customers up at night if you think of security services they have so many variables and so many things going on that it's tough to keep track of you know the old school methods of of sort of pen and paper you can't cover all of them anymore so having a bit of automation behind the operation in terms of all the repeated tasks that can be done and we're traditionally very labor intensive so now helping them with that employee engagement's a big thing regardless of the sector that you're working in so getting the right employees to kind of join you but also then keeping them uh, making sure that they they feel empowered and even if it's as simple as getting their work shifts and getting their assignments you know kind of being able to uh, to uh, help them with that and there's an evolution of, of technology, obviously, and I think it's impacting the security industry greatly, you know, for the better. Do you find that this industry is slower to adopt newer technology, or do you see customers that are really trying to embrace it and go with it, even if traditionally they're more of the pen and paper type people? Yeah, definitely slower to adopt. I think the, the technology is out there. People are looking for ways to kind of get around it. So process management and say, hey, I see this technology and I kind of hear that. But I think before you do, you try to start solving things, you have to understand really what the problem is. So that's really, we, we encourage them to kind of take a step back and say, well, why are you doing it the way that you're doing it? You've had 
had access to the data for years. It just happens to be on paper or it happens to be in a spreadsheet somewhere. It happens to be somewhere else. So let's bring it all together and kind of see what we can uh, what we can go. And, and the, the obvious tie-in, I mean, ES, ESRM is a big thing for the association. And I think it's part of one of the ways that the industry is going to really take a big step forward. So one of the ways that we, we think that we're helping with that is uh, just kind of getting that data, right? So using that to kind of help security be more of a business function. So when somebody challenges a security program to say, well, you know, well, what have you done for us lately? Well, I can tell you what we've done for you lately, you know, because here's the, the information that we've been gathering. Thank you for your leadership within ASIS, and thanks for being here and stopping by the podcast. Thank you. It's been a lot of fun. That does it for this month's podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode. Once again, I'm your host, Associate Editor Holly Gilbert-Stowell. Until next time, bye-bye.